Hi, this is John. This week on The Cinephiles, Steve and I are exploring John Ford's iconic Western from 1956, The Searchers. This is one of my favorite films, and if you watched the top 10 episode on our favorite westerns, you know that this was number one for me. It's a challenging western, starring John Wayne, Jeffrey Hunter, Vera Miles, Ward Bond, and a young Natalie Wood. It's a film that time critic Richard Corliss noted is widely regarded as the greatest western of the 1950s, the genre's greatest decade. John Wayne's character of Ethan Edwards has been debated for decades. Is he pure in his search for Natalie Wood? Is he a racist? And what does the ending say about us as a civilization? Must we really close the door on our violent past in order to embrace a more civilized future? Steve and I discuss all this and more. The Searchers, this week on The Cinephiles. I hope you die. That'll be the day. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hey, everyone. I'm John Roca. I'm an actor, voiceover artist, and host of numerous shows here in Los Angeles, California, including this one. And today, we yeah. get to enter the world of yet another great director. Yes. John Ford. Yeah. Not only is he a great director, he might have directed more films than anybody else we ever done on the wow. Files. Wow. He directed 140 films. Really? Yeah. About um, a third of which maybe are gone. Right. Yeah. They've disappeared. They, every once in a while, they find one in some film archive. There was one found a few years ago in New Zealand. There was one found oh, wow. in, in England or no, in France a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But basically, so many of them are, have disappeared. Oh, those French. Um, fortunately, this yeah. one has not disappeared. Yes. And I think it is arguably his best film. You could say that. Absolutely. This the Searchers. The Searchers. Yeah. 1956, starring John Wayne, Jeffrey Hunter. Uh, it's, it's Natalie an, Wood. Natalie Wood. Yeah. Uh, it's an unbelievably great film. Uh, how'd you first come to it? Uh, I came to it when I was studying film, I guess, back in the 90s. And, you know, everyone talked. It was that iconic, you know, back in the 80s, we, we had a thing on CBS where they'd like the CBS afternoon movie or something. And they'd show a compilation of clips. And they always had the shot of John Wayne at the end when he is through the doorway oh, right. and he spins and walks away. Like you have that shot. And I always thought that was such an iconic shot. And so when I started exploring films in the 90s, I was discovering like where those films came. And one of them was The Searchers. And so I finally watched it, probably on Laserdisc at Charlottesville, University of Virginia, Charlottesville, and was just so in love with the film and have been in love with the film ever since. It was one of my top five Westerns, top 10 Westerns ever. Yeah, it's funny for me, and this is going to surprise you a little bit. Okay. I haven't seen it that much. Really? Yeah, I saw, oh. it, I saw it probably in college. Uh-huh. Watched it again uh, maybe 10 years ago. Okay. And then I watched it this week. So wow. I think maybe three times. And the thing that's strange about it is this is one, and we're going to come across this a few mm -hmm. times, which is that there's no question in my mind that this is a great film, an important film, a powerful film, a well-executed film. Mm -hmm. This isn't my movie. Wow. And I don't know why. And that's one of the things, maybe in the yeah. course of this conversation, it's not that I don't appreciate it. No, and it sounds like it you again, do. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is an amazing movie. Mm -hmm. But there's certain movies that I go regularly i'm gonna watch that again yeah you know i'm gonna watch wrath of khan again right. i'm gonna watch raiders again i'm gonna watch touch of evil again i'm sure. gonna watch kane again i'm gonna watch lawrence and 
this has never been in the rotation. Well, that's ironic you mentioned Touch of Evil, because Touch of Evil for me is one that I can only watch once every few years. Right. I cannot watch think that thing over and over again. It takes too much out of me. There's too much that it explores that is too close to home at times that I just cannot. Because Also because of my love of Orson Welles. Sure. There's, it feels too autobiographical about him that right. it just unsettles me. But this is so... It's such a vibrant Western, and it's such a Western that asks a lot of the audience unknowingly i think you go in not thinking you know it's john wayne he's he's the hero at this point in time everything like that and then you watch very uncomfortably some of his actions in the movie and because he's a pretty much an anti-hero and very yet, much so and yet you can't take your eyes off him and you can't stop supporting him as you watch the movie it, it's I think unquestionably his best performance and yeah. his most interesting role mm-hmm. by far. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's back up a little sure, bit. Sure, let's okay. start. Let's talk a little bit about John Ford. He started because uh, he is. Here's the thing about John Ford that I find interesting, and the more I researched him, the more I saw this to be true, yeah. which is that he's a director's director. Mm-hmm. Is that over and over again when you hear directors talk, they talk about John Ford, right? Uh, so, for instance, Orson Welles. Before he made Citizen Kane, in order to learn, this is his story, yeah. in order to learn how to make movies, he watched Stagecoach over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Akira Kurosawa, they went to Akira Kurosawa and said, Mr. Kurosawa, when, how, when you learned how to frame these shots, what, what great painters did you study? What, you know, did you look at Renaissance painters? Did you look at Rembrandt? How did you learn to construct these great shots? And he said, I just watched John Ford movies. <laughs> when they went to David Lean, David Lean says the number one influence for how he shot Lawrence of Arabia is John Ford. Wow. Yeah, in particular, The Searchers. Right. And if you look you at... You can see that. You can see it. It's very, very mm-hmm. clear. And and so John Ford started making films uh, in the teens, in 1914, in the silent era. His brother was an actor, came to Hollywood first. John Ford followed his brother, became a bit actor, became his cameraman, mm-hmm. worked as a producer, basically did every job possible in the silent era. Mm-hmm. He even had a small part in Birth of a Nation, D.W. Oh, wow. Griffin, yeah. Okay. He, he's a Klansman that takes off his okay. hood at one point, yeah. Mm. Um, so maybe not the most officious. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that Birth of a Nation, by the way, is making it on the cinema. I, I don't ever know. want to talk about that Yeah, movie. I don't yeah. know if I can. I'm it's good a, not to it, ever. It's an important movie in sure. film history. But I think we can not do it. Anyway, um, so so he becomes a director in yeah. the teens, starts directing two reelers and three reelers, which are short films, yeah. uh, directs his first feature in like 1920-ish, and actually becomes a successful director in, in the silent era. And these are a lot of the movies that have disappeared. Yeah. And then uh, moves right into uh, talking pictures without any bump, which some directors, they died. That was it. Yeah. The Griffin being one, mm-hmm. where the huge, huge powerful in the silent era couldn't really direct sound pictures right uh and and even then he really gets associated with the western and Mm -hmm. um in 1921 someone tells him hey there's this place you really should check out someone should make movies there and that's monument valley yeah uh which have you ever been there no i've never been there it's, it's in Wyoming, right? No, no. It's a uh, border of Utah and oh, Arizona. Utah. Okay. Yeah. And it is, I mean, you've seen it, yes. obviously, because you've watched these films. Yeah. It is just stunning and stark. And by the way, it's still, 
not a user-friendly place. Mm-hmm. And it certainly wasn't a user-friendly place there. It's in a Navajo Indian reservation. And it isn't now and definitely wasn't then built up. So shooting there meant there was like one lodge in the area mm-hmm. where John Ford and John Wayne and a few of those people stayed. And everyone else is in tents. Wow. Yeah, no no electricity, no running water. Huh. You know, they're out there in in, you know, the land. Yeah. Uh, it's a very difficult place to shoot. And while he's shooting these great westerns in Monument Valley, he's also shooting movies like The Informer, which is a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. How Green Was My Valley, which is the the infamous film that won the Oscar instead of Citizen Kane for right. best picture. Here's have you seen that one? No, I've never seen that one. It's really good. Yeah. It is really good. Is it John Wayne and and uh, Deborah? No. K- no, it's not John Wayne. No, no, it's it's a uh, Irish. Uh, he's he's of Irish descent, by the way. His okay. parents are Irish immigrants. John Ford. John yes. Ford. Um, and very strong connection to Ireland, and okay. that's where the Quiet Man comes from, and some of his ah, other films. And that's the, the John Wayne one, right? Quiet jo- Man. Quiet Man is yeah. John Wayne. Yeah, that's what I was confused um, with. And. Uh, How Green Is My Valley is about sort of a coal mining town, and mm-hmm. it's it is a really good movie. Okay, it is not better than Citizen Kane. Nope. But it's one of those Not movies where are. it's one of those movies where you go, yeah, I totally see why this one's best picture. Okay, it's really good. And John Ford, by the way, more directing Oscars than any other director. Well, when one, you do 140 films, you hope you get yeah. it right a few more times. Yeah, he had he, had, he was one best director four times. <laughs> wow, for The Informer, How Green Was My Valley, and I don't remember the other two offhand. Okay, um, and maybe The Searchers. No, I don't think he won for The Searchers. Okay. All right, um, we'll have to look that up. Sure. These are things I probably should know. It's all right. It's all right. Um, so anyway. <laughs> In 1939, he goes back to the Western mm-hmm. and brings in his friend John Wayne. And this is really the movie that makes John Wayne in Stagecoach. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Which isn't actually one of my favorites. I've watched St- it. Stagecoach is not. No, I don't, I don't. I'm not a big fan of Stagecoach either. I've, saw, I've seen it two or three times. I know it got the Criterion Collection, uh, but it just it doesn't do it for me. Um, and and But Sergers does. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and John Wayne, nobody wanted him to be a star. He could not get starring roles. Right. And he's such an unusual actor. Um, and by the way, his name's Marion Morrison, because he has one of the best name changes of all time. Because um, Marion is just not a tough guy. No. Um, now, Morris, that's an excellent name. Sure. Morris' son, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, it's all right. Um, it's correlative to Eastwood, right? Eastwood was doing B, B movie parts. But like, nobody wanted right. to give him a chance. He had to go to Italy yep. to get a lead in a, in a Western film. And the same thing here with John Wayne. He'd be doing all these B movies, these smaller parts in B movies, which I've seen some of them on TCM. They show him every once in a while and you're just, you're like he is so obviously a star right. well how did they not see it but he's you know? so unusual because yeah. john wayne like a lot of these stars he just is who he is yeah you know he's john wayne mm-hmm. and john ford repeatedly said this guy's going to be the biggest actor of all time and everyone said you're crazy <laughs> and in fact it might be that he is the biggest actor of all time wow yeah in terms of like how many years he led the box office mm-hmm. Like the other ones that are close are Eastwood and Tom Cruise mm-hmm. are really, uh, you know, like, but because most actors, you know, they, they lead box office one year, two yeah. years. And John Wayne, it's like 12 or 14 yeah. or something. It's a lot. Um, and they made 24 films together. Um, wow. And, I yeah. didn't know that. 24. Yeah. Good God. And, okay. uh, and Wayne and Ford. Ford was not an easy dude. Mm-mm. He was tough. Mm-hmm. And he had this, he was very sensitive emotionally, and he took it out on people. And he yeah. particularly took it out on John Wayne. There's someone, I think it's uh, Ward Bond, who's one of, mm-hmm. John Ford always used like the same actors over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Ward Bond, who we also saw in It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. 
And I think Ward Bond is the guy who said that John Ford is the only guy who can make John Wayne cry. <laughs> and you wow. imagine someone intimidating John Wayne, right? And yet that's this guy, especially on the Searchers, where yeah. Wayne is never more violent or vicious than yeah. he is in this movie. Yeah. And, and and much like as we talked about in It's a Wonderful Life, when World War II started. John Ford joins the military, he joins the Navy. Mm-hmm. He's not a fighting soldier, but okay. he makes films for the Navy. And he is in combat regularly. He was wounded in the Battle of Midway, wow. served a Purple Heart. He uh, was on the beach, on Omaha Beach, on D-Day right. filming. Um, all of that film, by the way, has almost never been seen because it was considered just too violent and terrifying. Wow. And it's color footage and it's owned by the Navy Department. Really? Yeah. That, and no, and, and yeah. They, don't, they won't release it. Yeah. Wow. And much like Jimmy Stewart, he stayed in the military Mm -hmm. and uh, stayed in the reserves. He filmed in Korea. He was promoted to rear admiral and finally to full admiral Hmm. by the time he died. Admiral John Ford. Yep. That's great. I like that name. Yeah. And John Wayne, at the same time, said, I'm going to join the military, too, in World War II. Yeah. And he never did. And he kept delaying it. He said, after I finish this movie, after I finish this wow. movie, he actually got into the OSS, and to mm-hmm. be, which is the precursor to the CIA. Right. And then just didn't do it. Huh. And there's some speculation that some of, you know, John Wayne is a very well-known, very conservative, pro-military guy. That yeah. Some of that might have come out of guilt for not actually serving. Oh, wow. You know, that, that, now this is just some speculation right, that I've sure, read. Right, sure, 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 sure. Um, anyway, so we get to 1956, mm-hmm. and we get to The Searchers, and I think for me, the thing that's most difficult is this, it's not an easy movie. It's not, you know, we talk about, mm. oh, the anti-hero western starting with Eastwood, yeah. and, and no, it starts with The Searchers. Yeah, it starts with The Searchers. This is an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the beginning, and, the, and this is why I love the film so much, because it does challenge you in that way as a, as a watcher of Westerns, and especially when you take someone like John Wayne, John Wayne, who at this, when you're watching other John Wayne films, he's so, you know, he's so the classic hero, Western hero, that kind of thing, and you give him these really darker colors to play, and John Ford does a great job of shooting him in shadows, in darkness, in, sure. with light, like the lighting, just all of it to really evoke you being you you in your own mind like questioning this whole thing and this is can't be this cannot be denied like it's 1956 uh, brando's right around the corner uh, east i mean james dean is coming like method act like all this stuff where we begin the questioning of society questioning of the old ways of doing things and you have someone like jeffrey hunter who's playing the younger hothead emotional type which is ironic because i just watched that uh the leonard nimoy documentary that's out on netflix that his yeah, son did I it too. uh and he, they talk about the reason they replaced jeffrey hunter was because jeffrey hunter was a introspective actor and you're right. like that's not what i see in the searchers and so it's interesting to see him juxtapose with that kind of thing, the young hothead versus the old way of doing things. And you see the young hothead have to drag the old guy into seeing it in a different way because the old guy has these, has just everything's black and white, right. you know? And, and, and that's what it had to be to survive in that terrain. Um, even right from the beginning of the movie, you're in this complexity of stuff. In the opening shot, and we had to say, yeah. John Ford has one of the great eyes yeah. of all time. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is interesting for a guy that had one eye that was didn't always work. You <laughs> yeah. see him with eye patches a lot. Yeah. Um, and that he, in fact, even went blind for a while. In the wow. middle of shooting once, he, he goes blind. Wow. Yeah, and his sight came back. I mean, he had, a, had some health problems. The guy was a serious drinker, serious smoker. Mm-hmm. He lived a pretty rough life. Right. But the opening shot, and this is something he does a lot, is you start inside in, in, in very, very deep black 
darkness as a door opens and opens on Monument Valley as as Martha steps out into the world and we follow out to see the arrival of Ethan, which is yeah. John Wayne. Yeah. And that shot right at the beginning, first shots are really important. Yeah. You know, and I say something I say to my students all the time is like, really think about the first shot of your film. Mm-hmm. Well, this is among the best. Yeah. Agreed. This opening shot is unbelievable. And and uh, in with a very economical way, because that's, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about Stanley Kubrick, we mm-hmm. talked about Coppola, and both in completely opposite ways, they wasted a lot of film. Yeah. And wasted a lot of time to get exactly what they want. John Ford's the opposite. He would shoot like two takes, he would shoot three shots, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, he was on budget, on time, just cranking it out. And mm-hmm. this is a guy, he didn't storyboard, he didn't do shot lists, he walked on the set, said this is what we're shooting, and those, and that's the movie. <laughs> what he described it as is you gotta cut in the camera. Because he, the way the studio system used to work is that you would, you would shoot your movie and then the studio would often edit it and the director, didn't, the director was on to another film. It's wow. the only way you make 140 films in your lifetime. Right, right, right. Um, and so his feeling was, I can't give them any choices. To edit. So the, I'm going to shoot it. There's only one way this can be cut, and that's how I'm going to shoot it. Wow. So he's super economical. Yeah. And the first thing we learn is right from the very beginning, Ethan is a guy that there's some darkness about. Yes. The way he, he comes out of the darkness yeah. to them, and they're like, they don't know who it is initially, and then they see that it's Ethan, and he's got the hat. And even the way it's shot, he's very, he's like, there's the darkness to him, the shade, and then he comes, you know, and the way the family reacts to him, like the, the, the wife is really, like, really attached to him and cares about him. You can tell, but everyone, everyone there's a love for him, but there's also a distance. Do you well, know what I'm and saying? And there's a story of him that we never get yes, to find out. that's he's true. He's coming from the Civil War. Right. He was in the Confederate Army. Yeah. obviously and the civil war ended four years ago yeah and they said and there's like where have you been and he's yeah. not going to tell you nope wow the prodigal brother when did you get back i ain't seen you since the surrender come to think of it i didn't see you at the surrender don't believe in surrenders no i still got my saber reverend didn't turn it into no plowshare neither all right i'll swear you in no need to it wouldn't be legal anyway why not? You wanted for a crime, Ethan? Coffee, Ethan. Thank you, Martha. You asking me as a captain or a preacher, Sam? I'm asking you as a ranger of the sovereign state of Texas. You got a warrant? You fit a lot of descriptions. I figure a man's only good for one oath at a time. I took mine to the Confederate States of America. And there's some mystery there. Mm-hmm. And then he sees Jeffrey Hunter the first time and calls him a half-breed. Bleh. And his racism is instant. Right. You know, so like, it, and this is even in 1956. I mean, today, obviously, we feel right. it. But even then, you go like, oh. Yeah. I'm, how do I feel about this guy? Right. You know? I've argued about this a number of times. People are like, well, he was not racist. He just, he's a product of his time. And I always throw that argument out the window because I go, there were abolitionists in the 1860s who knew slavery was wrong. So don't tell me the concept is not possible. The concept was possible. And that's what I, in my mind, I put into the movie, the four years that he, between the Civil War and him showing up the, on their doorstep, is him hardening himself out in Indian country, having to survive, having to, or Native American country, whatever you prefer to say, having to figure out their culture their way of operating and the different tribes that were out there and how to function. And so there is no place for gray area when you're trying to survive in a situation like that. There's, there's no question that he's a racist, yeah. even within the context of the film. Yeah. Because 
his way of responding to things isn't the same way of responding to things that other people in the film yeah. have. Yep. Is that his feelings are clearly aberrant. Yeah. Like nobody else is calling Jeffrey Hunter a half breed. Nope. Only he is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like his hatred is irrational. There's mm -hmm. no question about it. And it becomes more irrational throughout the course of the film. Right. And, and let me be really clear about what I mean by irrational. It's not that it's not motivatable. Right. But it is not. I mean, he, he gets he, it gets pretty dark. He's a different kind of man. Look, we yeah. when we're introduced to everyone else in the film, they have, they're somewhat civil. They're civilians, right? He's like a war veteran. He's almost like Martin Sheen coming back to society in Apocalypse Now. It would never work. It would never work. Right. He's the the war of whatever he's experienced is so deep. And you could even argue it's PTSD. You could argue any number of things that he has he has within him that that war survivors have that there's a harder edge they can't make the transition hurt locker is a film that explores that as well with jeremy renner like you see that and he's kind of a i think he's a symbol of that too well and you said it right at the beginning he sees things as black and white mm -hmm. you know and the movie is not black and white at no. all the movie is very complex and mm -hmm. so watching this guy who's just like and maybe he's in a way he's playing out a heroic context within mm -hmm. his own brain yeah but we look at his actions and go he, he, and he is heroic in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. So let's get into a little bit more what sure. this is about. He comes back. He sees this family. Um, there seems to be some very subtly played feelings between him and Martha, yes. the wife. But not. And again, this is John Ford. John yeah. Ford's not going to show you things. Mm -hmm. He's just going to put it out there. Um, and then and they realize that an Indian attack is going to happen. Right. And, they, and, and even then, John Wayne already seems to know that they're too late. Yep. And he yeah. doesn't rush. Nope. He says, they're going to attack your family or they're going to attack the family I was just at, the house, the homestead I was just at. But their farm, the other homestead, is 40 miles away. And he tells Jeffrey Hunter, when Jeffrey Hunter tries to take off because that's, that's the young guy right. in, the, in the bravado, he's going to defy the laws of physics and go back there in time. And Ethan is wrong. And Ethan's like, nope, just you know, put the, pull the grain out, Moe's, pull the grain out. These horses need to rest. And sure enough, when they, roll, when they start rolling back towards the homestead, who are they running to? Jeffrey Hunter, whose horses obviously died. And he's walking back with his saddle in his hand because he didn't listen to Ethan. And Moe's tells him, next time you listen to Ethan, and that's the thing because... He is, he's an experienced he's guy an experienced who understands soldier. what it is. There is, there is no point in rushing back to something that's already happened. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, and you kill your horse. And you kill your horse. Exactly. Yeah. And so they get and strand yourself out in the desert. Right. So you get back and the attack is genuinely scary. Yes. We see it before Ethan has come back. Yeah. And we see, and again, John Ford doesn't, John Ford implies things. He doesn't show you mm -hmm. things. So, you know, bad things have happened. Oh yeah. But we don't get to see it. And we seem to know that Debbie, uh, which is the young version of Natalie Wood, has mm -hmm. been taken. Right. Um, and John Wayne gets back to the house and finds the bloody dress of yeah. Martha, the woman that he had some connection to. Yeah. And this is the beginning of seeing this great performance from John Wayne. Yeah. And when he uh, stops Jeffrey Hunter from going into yep. the into the into that underground area and he like punches him and he says yeah. don't you ever go in there and Moe's stop him from going in there and because in some messed up way he has a moral code he has a, a oh, civil absolutely. code and he may make fun of jeffrey hunter to pieces and make fun of him half -breed. 
he's still trying to protect him in a very, very harsh, tough love kind of way, you know, to not have him see the things that he's seen. And that's when I think it's so great to explore the darkness of that character is that he has seen these kinds of things for a while. And that's why he has a harder edge to him. There's an ugly side to, to humans, regardless of heritage that he has seen and he, that's why he and can, is part of and is a part of yes exactly you know I mean like to, God to, knows what he's done to, yeah we don't we don't know what he's mm-hmm. done like we can assume we know he's killed people it's mm-hmm. you know and we know that he is is ruthless yes um, and we don't know the level of what the things that he's done right um, so we're gonna go off this is what the movie's about is the searchers yeah. is we gotta find Debbie and at first we go off in a group. And yep. We have Ward Bond, who's a great actor. Just love him to death. <laughs> so fun in this yeah. movie. And they're going to go off kind of with a posse. Eric Chase, it does not go well. No, no. Um, we we because they're not seasoned. Uh, they're not seasoned soldiers. They're not. They're they're not seasoned uh, even hitmen or mercenaries that you would find. They're just regular homesteaders. And right. so you're going to have them flipping out and being emotional instead of being in control of stuff. And well, and there's this themselves. moment where John Wayne says to Ward Bond, "You could. I will follow you once, but if it's wrong, you'll never give me another order." Yeah, you know. <laughs> and of great. course, it is. Yeah, of course, it is. Yeah. Um, and Warbond does a great job with this because he is like an explosion, a tornado in every scene that he's in. Yeah. Right? He's an emotional tornado, which is great because uh, you have John Wayne playing it more relaxed, more subdued. So it's a good back and forth that they have when they have their scenes. Well, and it's interesting because Ward Bond, in a way, he's he's the law. Yeah. You know, he's and he's both a law and the preacher. Right. So he is the guy in charge. And we want him, there's a sense of like, you want him to be good at what he's doing. Right. And it's not that he's incompetent. <laughs> it's just that he's not that competent. He's inexperienced. Yeah. Yeah. And and John Wayne is clearly the guy who knows everything. Yep. But John Wayne is corrupt in this yeah. it has this darkness to him. Mm-hmm. So they end up they get kind of ambushed. Looks like you got yourself surrounded. Yeah, and I figure on getting myself unsurrounded. Let's go. barely get away yeah and from that point it's going to be john wayne and then joining with him is jeffrey hunter mm-hmm. uh who's young martin who is part uh cherokee i yeah. think and then you have uh harry carey jr mm-hmm. who's brad uh and harry carey jr is he the he's he's in love with lucy who's one right of, who's one of the oh because there are two women that are taken yeah. i should have said that lucy yeah. was also taken yeah uh and they go off together mm-hmm. and we come to the canyon mm-hmm. and there's this moment where they split up and john wayne he seems to know something's yeah. up and he goes to the canyon and they go around and then John Wayne comes out of the canyon and I'm going to say this is John Wayne's best acting of all time yeah. that I've ever seen. Yeah. Comes out of the canyon, he drops, gets off his horse, he drops to his knees and he starts digging in the ground with his knife. It's yeah. very strange. And he says, don't ever ask me. Yeah. You know, yeah. what he saw. And we kind of know. Yeah. We, we, you know, you know, even even if you haven't seen the movie, you right. know that he saw that it was Lucy. Lucy. No, he yeah. tells him. He tells Harry Carey. You know, he says uh, because he because Harry Carey runs off and sees a squaw wearing Lucy's dress, and he right. thinks that's Lucy. I found him. I found Lucy. What you saw was a buck wearing Lucy's dress. I found Lucy back in the canyon. What was she? What do you want me to do? Draw your picture? Spell it out. Don't ever ask me. 
long as you live, don't ever ask me more. Which echoes, of course, what he did with Jeffrey Hunter earlier when he knocks Jeffrey right. Hunter out to stop him from going underneath. Once again, he's trying to stop these younger guys from having to go through what he went through. And it's, it's, it's a kind of interesting, tough love approach to the world where he gets to judge everybody and then dictate what information they have. Right. You know? And what he's doing essentially is taking all the darkness onto himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to take this burden. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that it's destroying him. Right. You know, it, it, it's corrupting him and destroying him in this horrible, horrible way. He believes that he can take it on, but the consequences are, you're right, Steve, that's destroying him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Brad, uh, Harry Carey Jr. He can't take it. Mm-hmm. And he goes off and charges. And we, again, John Ford's not going to show. He's yeah. off camera. Yep. We hear the gunshots, and we know that he's dead. The music and the music cue. And the music, yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, it's almost wall-to-wall music. Yeah, it is. A lot of music. And one of the things he does, you know, we've talked about light motifs. Mm-hmm. This idea of having themes is he, John Ford likes to weave folk music. So mm. song, little recognizable things. Like when, when Ethan comes home, even before he speaks, we hear a little Civil War melody. Yeah. And we already know, oh, he was in the Civil War. Right. And on the Confederate side, just from the little strain of the music. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that, a lot of these little themes that kind of get run through the film. Yeah. So Jeffrey Hunter and John Wayne continue, mm-hmm. and they track these uh, Indians for a year. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'm going to just use the term Indians. Normally I would use the term Native Americans, but that's what it's called in the film. Right, so right, right. Uh, I try not, I hope, I hope that doesn't offend. It's going to yes. come out sometimes. Uh, anyway, they tracked them for a year before returning home. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they return home, now we get the real introduction of Vera Miles, yeah. who plays Lori, who is obviously in love with Martin. Yeah. It's all this stuff that takes you out of the main story that keeps you balanced enough so that when the main story stuff, the darker uh, uh, shades of the main story start to happen, you are not too dark. It's not too dark. It's dark. It's not too dark well, this until is what, the end. Yeah. We, we, one of the interesting things about John Ford is that unlike just about every other director, he never talks about his work. Uh, so we don't know what his thought process right, is. Right, but right, right. what people have said about what you're describing is this is like Shakespeare. Yeah. Is that you're in Macbeth and then you have some comic relief. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have throughout the film mm-hmm. is that it gets really, really dark yeah. and then you have some, some nice... Vera Miles, Jeffrey Hunt, you know, we have some, some yeah. jokes in there to kind of lighten us up. Right. Um, and it's really, just like you said, this is the comic relief. Yeah. It's sweet and funny and cute. And she's great. Yes. I love Vera Miles. Yes. She's really good in this film. What are you getting so red in the face about? I got brothers, ain't I? Yeah, well, I ain't one of them. Now, looky here, Martin Polly. I'm a woman. We women wash and mend your dirty clothes all your lives. When you're little, we even wash you. How you can ever make out to be bashful in front of a woman, I'll never know. Well, you talk like a fella just might as well run around naked. Wouldn't bother me nothing. Oh, I gotta go prettier than you. I gotta go. Oh! <laughs> Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy their relationship. I think it's you in all this darkness. You have to have some light. You have to have some hope, and that's what they represent: hope, love, love, the hope of love. You know, because uh, Brad, uh, Harry Carey's Carey, Brad, right? Harry Carey, he, their love is dashed, and they were the first sample of love we had. You know, because the kids are making fun of them, and you know they're off having their little kissing moments away from the house. And so you get, that's the first glimpse of it, but then that's horribly taken away from us. But something, love has to always bloom. There has to always be a possibility. And I think that's what that relationship serves. Well, the and, and the other thing that it is, is that Lori wants Marty, this is Vera Miles wants Jeffrey Hunter to stay. Yeah. You've gone off for a year. 
Now you're back. Yeah. It is destiny that we're supposed to be together. That's how it's treated. Right, right. They're right. both obviously in love with each other. Yeah. And and John Wayne wants Jeffrey Hunter to stay. Yeah. He, in fact, leaves early in the morning, expecting Jeffrey Hunter's just going to stay with Vera Miles, with right, Lori. Right. But then they've gotten some clue, and uh, Jeffrey Hunter goes, I've got to go. Mm-hmm. And Lori goes, no, you have to stay with me. And this is a key question of the movie. Mm-hmm. How long do you search? Yeah, right. How long do you, gone a year? Yeah. You know, and, and this is out, you know, the thing, you know, I, I think I said this when we talked about High Noon. My uh, theme, philosophy of what a Western is, is you are on your own. Right. Nobody, nobody's going to come. There's no police. There's no army. There's yeah. no doctors. There's a, whatever happens, you got to deal with. Yeah. And so they are out in the vast wilderness of America mm-hmm. searching for one girl with one group of people right. that are almost impossible to find yeah. on a very cold trail day after day after day. And they've done it for a year. Mm-hmm. When do you say that's enough? I think like we see in the film, it's a personal choice. Jeffrey Hunter has a, had this incredibly strong connection to find her, but I think he wants to find her for different reasons than Ethan does, right? Ethan wants to find her out of revenge. I think Jeffrey Hunter wants to find her because she wants he wants to bring her back because he loves her, save because he loves her, right? Because he loves her because he's her, her sister, his sister, right? And so that, Ethan doesn't it, love her. Well, no, Ethan, it's he mm. doesn't know her. He's known her for a day. Yeah, I mean, when he comes home, it's literally one day. He comes yeah. home, meets her for the first time, lifts her up in his arms in this very significant shot. Yes, and the next day she's gone. But I think it's also, but I think Steve, this is the thing that the that once you said once again, you say John Ford doesn't give it to you. But he does in a way because you see Ethan make fun of and and kind of denigrate uh, Jeffrey Hunter's character because he is not actually blood related. Right. And so to his mind, finding Debbie is blood, this blood. Right. So it has to be. Uh, it's a. It takes on a greater importance. Whether he loves her or not is irrelevant. I agree. It's about blood. It's blood, not love. Yes. Well, and this is the black and white way of looking mm-hmm. at the world. Absolutely. You are kin. You were taken. Yes. Therefore, I must get you back. Right. And there is no compromise in Ethan. Right. There's no like, he's not balancing values mm-hmm. here. He's like, this is what must be done. Right. And he's going to always do what must be done. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, and I think beca- have you, having Lori in the movie is key because she is saying, why must that be done? Right. Maybe you should do this. Right. I mean, how much of your life do you sacrifice on a completely impossible quest? Yeah. You know, what, what good are you doing? Yeah. You know, what, what's the point of this? Right. What's your code? What's yeah. your code? What's like, your code? Are you, are you, is, is it better to stay here with me and build a family or to run off and, and try to do this thing that really has no, will have no effect on your life? Right. Honestly, won't have any effect on your life. Because the odds are you never find her. Yes. I mean, that's the odds. Yeah. And, and of course, the question we're about to get into is even if you do find her, what do you find? Right. You know? Right. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game. Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? 
free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. So uh, they get a, they get some clues. They make a deal for some information. They're off at a campsite, uh, and John, I love this scene because John Wayne's building up the fire. Yeah, and Jeffrey Hunter's going. It's too hot. Man. Yeah, what are you doing? Why are you building up this fire? It's such an unusual scene, yeah. and you think it's out of place in the film. If you the first time you see it, it feels out of place in the film because you don't understand what he's doing initially, and then you do. Well, this goes back to the thing I said before: of every every moment's a mystery. Yeah, is that when the, and this is a great mystery. Why is John Wayne putting all this wood on the fire? And what he's doing is he's setting a trap. Right, and he's using the 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 light to blind the guys that are coming in from the fire. He's using Jeffrey Hunter as bait. Right, and then he's because he knows they are about to be ambushed and he's going to ambush the ambushers. Yeah, and that's pretty badass. It was Mr. Yeah. Mr. Futterman. Mr. Futterman. Mr. Futterman gets taken out. <laughs> gets his and then John Wayne gets his money back. Cause why? Because he's a survivalist yeah. and that's what has to happen. And yeah. he sets up yeah he uses jeffrey hunter as bait because all of a sudden he's nice to jeffrey hunter which he hasn't been throughout the entire film he's like even even like tucks him in in a way with the blanket and then you know he hides it obviously sets the trap for them but it's just that kind of thing like he has a way of doing things that it has to be done and he understands that it's it's harsh decisions that have to be made in certain moments in order to survive well and 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 this is the thing we got to remember they're together they've already been together a year yeah can you imagine being with the same person, only that person, yeah. day after day after day, on horses, in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. for a year, when that person is a complete prick to you? Yeah, consistently. I mean, it is really, that's rough. Yeah, but that's, I think that's how it was back then for some relationships, man. I think that's the way it was. I mean, a lot of people would say, hey, that's a, my relationship with my dad in the 50s or in the 40s. Sure. You know, that's kind of how it was. Those kind of men, you know, and not all dads are like that, obviously, but he's that kind of father figure right he is a harder edged father figure he, in his way he, he the fact that he allows you to be in his company is his way of showing that he cares about you but he's gonna put you down all the time well and it's funny think watching this i kept thinking about john ford yeah and that oh that's a good point you know john ford was not easy on yeah. his cast and crew and that he had the same cast and crew for 30 40 years yeah they, they kept coming back back and they loved him and i think he loved them but he was a tough guy to deal with. Yep. He was not easy. Yep. And it, th- there, there's, a, he, there's one story where uh, someone did something wrong. He sh- completely destroyed them. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the details of the story. And then that person was really upset. So he put a sign up that was basically, everyone be nice to this person. And he was perfectly civil to this person for one week. Yeah. Then he took the sign down. <laughs> And then all bets were off. Again. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he, he, wow. he is a he was he played practical jokes on people. Yeah, he and he would humiliate people. He was he was a rough guy to deal with. Yeah, you know. But there's something about it, and I know this from you know I've talked about my relationship with Mike Hoover before, who's oh, yeah. really my mentor. Not an easy person. Yeah, but man, people work hard for him. Yeah, you know. There's something about these irascible, brilliant, yeah, tough guys that you want to please and yeah and ethan's definitely that kind of guy yeah you know jeffrey hunter might hate ethan at the end of this movie mm-hmm. i don't know but 
I think he needs him. He need and respects him, and, right? And is a, and learned a lot. Yes, he did. He's a much tougher guy by the end of the movie yep. than he was certainly at the beginning. Yeah. All right. Then we get into a really interesting bit of storytelling, which is we have this letter. Mm-hmm. Is that a letter shows up with Lori? She starts reading it, and then we immediately, in a hard cut, very kind of brutally, are into seeing the actions of the letter. Yeah. In which. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Hunter and John Wayne are making a deal with some Native Americans, which, by the way, played almost entirely by real Navajo. Oh, nice! Um, in from the Navajo reservation okay. where they shot, um, and uh, he makes this deal with this woman, a Navajo woman, mm-hmm. and she follows them, right? Because unbeknownst to him, he's making a deal for her as a wife. Yeah. I don't know if this is so... <laughs> it's pushing the comedy a little bit, and today pushing it in a way that right. isn't so comfortable. Right. And John Wayne has no trouble making fun, just laughing at this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, and Jeffrey Hunter's trying to explain, you know, look, this is, right. you're not my wife. Look, don't do this. And she just thinks her name is Look, so right. her name is Look. You're right. <laughs> at one point, by the way, he kicks her out of bed, which is really... Yeah. That's where it goes kind of... Yeah. I'm not sure. You have to make these compromises at times when you watch these films from that time. Yeah. Like you got to see that kind of stuff. But also, but but there's a darkness to it, right? Because when they ask oh, yeah. her about Scar and they finally get the information that they're looking for out of her, she leaves and leaves that, that rock formation of arrows to show where she's going. And then later we find out Scar kills her. Oh, Scar didn't kill her. Or, or wait, who kills her in the tent? The cavalry. Oh, the cavalry. Sorry, the cavalry. That's right. That's right. When they roll up with the cavalry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In their pursuit of Scar because they want information from Scar. Right. But yes, the cavalry kill her. Yeah. Which, once again, here we go into the darkness of this, right? Yeah. And this is what we got to we gotta get into this. Yeah. Because this is, by the way, that's based on a real event. Yes. Where, uh, uh, and it's not like there's not lots and lots of these events. Mm-hmm. This is a particular one. I can't remember where it was. And uh, where the cavalry is hunting a... Uh, some warriors who have done who have attacked a settlement. Yeah, the warriors have left the village. All that's left are women and children. Yeah, and the U.S. cavalry wipes out you know sixty women and children. Right, and um, and this is what we got to talk about in this film okay. is is one of the great things about if you look at the history of westerns, most of them, particularly in the early ones, the Indians are the bad guys, the cowboys are the good guys. Right. And when and in fact, kids grow up. Do you ever play cowboys? And yeah, Indians? of course, of course. Yeah, I play cowboys and Indians. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people play cowboys and Indians anymore. No, um, they're playing video games. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point. Um, when you get to John Ford, John Ford has a much more complicated and sensitive mm-hmm. way of looking at it. And when you look at this movie, this is a gray movie, mm-hmm. and this is a movie where you can't go, "Oh, the good guys are the cowboys." Right. You you go, man. There's a lot of complexity and in this scene we see the complexity Mm -hmm. because we go oh it wasn't scar that wiped is the bad guy here it was the cavalry it was us that was the bad guy right um which is once again another one of these things where he takes a trope or or a cliche or a tenet of these kinds of westerns and turns them on its head right this idea because that that's where you get this the say the phrase from or the right the saying here comes the cavalry or the cavalry is coming right. it's which symbolizes that you're gonna get saved you're gonna get here rescued come the good guys right here come the good guys but then you see what the good guys did and it's right. like it's and this was the ugly side of the cavalry at this time you know well and and this is so so on the one hand not on the one hand john ford should be applauded definitely for this time of of making forcing america to look at their history mm-hmm. in a way that was more complex than it was before mm-hmm. there's no question about that and the way this movie handles it is kind of just there's gray and complexity everywhere mm-hmm. but and this is what i have to say this is not so gray 
Yeah. It is really pretty black and white mm-hmm. the other way. Yeah. You know, I just recently read uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Oh, yeah. Which is a book about essentially the Native American Holocaust from 1820 until 1910 or so. Right. And I knew it was going to be bad. You know, I knew, I knew what I was getting into. I knew right. what book I had picked up. It is so much worse than anything I could have possibly imagined. The, that scene of the cowboy, which we don't see. It's, again, right. it's John Ford. Yep. This happens off camera. That scene ha- was replayed over and over and over again in our history. Yeah. And there's continually Native American tribes that go, let's, let's make peace. Yeah. Let's work this out. Let's make a deal. Let's trust these guys. And repeatedly, their trust gets violated. Mm-hmm. And, then there's, and repeatedly, their women get raped and killed mm-hmm. and people get killed and their land gets taken. And then some young guys say, fuck this. Let's fight back. Yeah. And then they get wiped out. And then, or they try to, they eventually are so starving, you know, that they go, mm-hmm. okay, I guess we got to make a deal. Yeah. And they say, okay, we've made this deal. And then they're on the trail of teals and, trail tears of tears, and yeah. thousands more of them die. And this happens over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a whole s- multiple civilizations that are wiped out. Mm-hmm. And as we just continue rolling into the West and, and it, it has resonances today because what's happened at the Dakota uh, pipeline yeah. is, is them is once again, a situation where they had a treaty yeah. and then the United States is saying, well, that treaty is pretty nice, but you know what? We really got to run this pipeline, mm-hmm. you know? And so the echoes of this are still around. Right. And so while it's not a criticism of the film for making this really gray and complicated, that's great, Yeah, but it's really not so gray. Right. Um, well, and the irony of the, the pipeline is the army of engineers, which is essentially the correlative to the cavalry yep. is the one that actually stopped it. Yep. Right. Which yeah. is so ironic. And for the first time in history, in that kind of situation. Yeah. And you're right. And this is, but I think this is what's so great about this movie as well. It asks, once again, I keep coming out to this theme. It asks more of you as a viewer than a typical Western does. Absolutely. This is what makes it a classic. And I think that's why, because it presents it in a way that's not banging over the head with it. It's just showing it. And you can feel whatever you want to feel. You can decide whatever you want to decide because it does not, it does not put as, as a lot of judgment on it. It is what happened. And there's reactions, but they're not like held out and dragged out and crying. And all. There's just like seeing what happened and you see the bodies and you have to decide for yourself how you feel about that, yep. you know, and that's, that's a powerful moment. And it's, once again, it's John Ford kind of showing you something and letting you as a viewer know, what's your opinion on this? What's your feeling about this? You know, and that speaks to a man who made his living to a degree on Westerns and then going back and having the retrospect to look back at it and, and like break down the stereotypes, break down the tenets and the cliches of it to show you what really happened back then. You know? Right. Um, so then we return with the cavalry and now we get to, and this is among the roughest scenes is mm-hmm. the two recaptured, girls yeah that have oh been taken, my god yeah and they're crazy yes you know they're completely loopy mm-hmm. and and there's this scene and jeffrey hunter's trying to figure out if one of them's debbie and yeah and there's this moment uh ford is very careful in how he uses a camera mm-hmm. and there are techniques that he withholds so he can use them as powerful moments and one of them is the push into john wayne's close-up and mm. this scene is so powerful and yeah. dark and yeah. scary and you see all of that anger and pain and desire for vengeance in his mind yeah. and what you see what he's seeing is this could be debbie right this could be debbie right and someone says and this is a terribly racist line yeah. it's hard to believe they're white yeah and john wayne's response is they're not white mm-hmm. anymore yeah now 
there's a lot to unpack in those lines. It's foreshadowing too what he's gonna what he is oh, approached yeah. to getting Debbie will be like. Yeah, yeah, and what the nature of what they mean by being white, mm-hmm. you know, which is they mean civilized, good, yeah, sane, correct, yeah. sane, yeah, and everything that is Native American right. in there in that moment is yeah. meant as uncivilized, insane, brutal, evil. And I also think because they see them as violated by Native Americans, right. as having their behavior completely changed by their interactions with Native Americans, it makes them Native American more than than white in the in in the context of the film. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, and, saying? yeah, and this idea that they are sullied, that yes. they are corrupted. Yeah. You know. But also, you see, they're they're legitimately crazy, they're legitimately out of their minds because they were stolen from civilized, to a degree, civilized areas, and God knows what the Indians did to them. In, in, and this also happens, Steve. You have to also, the other flip side sure. of the coin is that these the Indians back then did steal women, did steal young boys, did steal family members, and uh, rape and kill and scalp and do all these things. There's that, that all of that happened as well. There were some very vicious Indians, Native American tribes that did those kinds of things. Were they doing in the main response? Probably so. What was those kinds of things that happened? We see Scar say that later on when he talks about the death of his two sons. I've taken many scalps in exchange for the death of my two sons. You know, and so there is this, it's a constant repetitive cycle of violence. Never ends, just never ends because one side always wants vengeance on the other and then the cycle changes where one side wants vengeance on the other. It's just constantly doing it. And so you see the ramifications of that when you see these girls. I mean, for me, the woman stroking the piece of wood, that's, chilling it's the two girls that yeah. turn and smile in, in a lunacy that it's like unsettles the hell out of you and and uh, uh john ford puts the camera in perfect position for you to move in on that and oh, see yeah. their faces and you're just like my lord what i think you know what you say about war is absolutely correct and and the thing i kept thinking while watching this is that from a from a macro level yeah. you know looking way way above a war we can make some judgments about maybe th- these guys are right or these guys are wrong and you know why things happen the way they happen but from a personal level if your kid got killed your kid got killed right it doesn't matter there's no that's just that's a tragedy yeah. and whoever killed your kid regardless of the reason is evil yeah. you know like we try to talk about the difference between you know, this kind of attack and this kind of attack. Right. But from the victim, it feels the same. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Um, and so for, and so we look in this movie and we're in those feelings. Mm-hmm. And the truth is the closest character to Ethan's character in the film is Scar. Yeah. They are, they're both tall. Mm-hmm. They're both, I mean, there's this moment of their meeting. There's this moment, in the moment that they meet, uh, Ethan says to him, oh, you speak, English well did somebody teach you right and then Ethan says something in Comanche and he says oh you speak Comanche well somebody teach you right and it's clearly like these are parallels these are the same people right you know both hardened by war absolutely both hardened by war by and loss and loss right exactly by fighting each other and that's that's there you know what I'm saying and that's powerful very powerful yeah um and we're coming out of the Korean War right right there's and World War II is like we're less than only 11 years before so it's all of that is all of that is is in there in the culture in the quietly spoken areas you know people talk about the greatest generation but there's a lot that happened you know you watch band of brother band of brothers and you'll see yeah, the the stuff they experienced in these wars you know yeah war it's this is not a newsflash no war's bad right but you people know? sometimes glorify world war ii and it's like eh. yeah it was great yeah. that we beat the nazis but a lot of men came back broken right as they do for any war well and the, and it's it's what you got to look at is the difference between 
the the Nazi ideology, that's pure evil. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what pure evil is. That's really as evil as we've seen I agree. in the last century. Sure. But for a guy fighting in the trench or the guy in the tank or the, you know, lieutenant leading mm-hmm. his men, well, they're the same. Yeah. You know, they're not necessarily a piece of the ideology that they're fighting for. Right, right. They're just people. Yeah. You know, and most of us would do what we what most people would do in right. the circumstances when your country goes to war. Yeah. If you're Ethan and his family and your sister was kidnapped, well yeah. you'd be you'd be a searcher. Yep. And if you're Scar and his people and your people are being murdered all the time, well you might be a kidnapper. Yeah. You know? Right. Because you know, war is the problem. Yep. So Ethan, Ethan, they get finally get the information. They go to meet Scar. We're in the tent. Right. Scar's great villain. Yeah. By the way, I think he's the only. He is a white guy. Yeah, he's a white guy. But almost all the other Native Americans are played by actual Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And they bring in these scalps to examine. <sighs> and then there's this moment of who brought in the scalps? Right. And it's Debbie. Yep. This great bit of acting where Jeffrey Hunter starts to react, and John Wayne goes, "Nope, yep. settle, settle down." And then we go out and we have an argument because, and, we, and now, by the way, we're five years into the search. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jeffrey Hunter, it's not like he doesn't know who he's with. Right. And he knows the darkness that's in this guy. Right. And he knows what Ethan wants to do now. Right. And it's never said, you know, they never just talk about it exactly. Mm. But Ethan wants to kill her. Yep. Because, are you asking me how I feel about that? I am. Okay. I understand it in his code because of what we saw with those two crazy girls, yeah. uh, that scene. And I think you're right. The close up on him. Oh yeah. It shows the darkness and the anger and the vengeance, but it also shows the moment for me. I've always felt that's the moment where Ethan decides he's going to kill her. Uh, oh, I agree. When he sees her because when, because it's the end of the search, he has found her. Because it isn't, it's not, it's not called the searchers and rescue. It's not called the rescuers. Right. It's called the searchers. So the, the searchers implies that there's the, whatever the result is, is the, is not the point of the search. Right. And so he finds her and, you know, and there's that moment and you, he's going to kill her because he sees her as part of that. She's been converted. Therefore, he does not want her to live that life. It's a way of putting her out of her misery. And even more so when she shows up and is like, these are my people, you got to get out of here, blah, blah, blah. And then Ethan pulls the gun out, you know, and Jeffrey Hunter turns around and, def- and defends her. And Ethan is going to shoot her through, through uh, Jeffrey sure Hunter. It sure seems that way. Right? Until the arrow, until he gets shot by the arrow, because the gun goes off almost at the same time. And so it's like, well, was he going to shoot her or did he just reflexively shoot the gun because he got shot by the arrow? I don't know. Was he going to shoot Jeffrey Hunter to get to her? I don't know. I don't know. John, this is, and this is where John Ford is going to, he's going to show you everything. Yeah. Um, But he's not going to tell you everything. Exactly. He's going to let you, he's going to accept that you're going to be intelligent and that you're watching the details. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it is an amazing shot where Jeffrey Hunter and John Wayne are having an argument and deep, deep in the background on the top of like a sand dune, you see the figure of Debbie coming in out of focus. Yeah, so great. Amazing, amazing shot. Yes. And then this moment of this confrontation. Right. Um, And there's something so evil about the idea of ethan killing her right you know i mean it's and it's there's so much to unpack about what it is Mm -hmm. first of all the racism yes is that oh the native americans are evil in in his world they're just they're evil in a black and white way they're not human they're not they're just 
evil yeah. in his brain. And the second is it's this weird rape sexism thing. Because mm-hmm. and that's how, you know, the the idea of rape as a violation that is destructed to destructive to the victim in mm-hmm. in a way that they are now corrupted. Yeah. That they are now no longer worth having alive. Right. You know, without even talking to her. Yeah. You know, it's not like you go it's not like I understand the crazy girls that you've met and you go, Oh, these people are broken. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that therefore they should be shot. Right. But no, that no. but you haven't even talked to Debbie. Debbie right. seems like fairly reasonable. <laughs> you know, she's not sitting in a corner, you know, craw- crying or anything. She's right. like seems pretty intelligent. Yeah. Uh, and then John Wayne gets shot, as you said, mm-hmm. and barely escape alive. Well, he's hit by the arrow. Yeah. 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 And That's then true. they finally come back home. <laughs> yes. um, and what's going on when they come back home? There's a wedding. Yeah. Well, I, I, wanna, I don't want to skip over this part because they go back and Ethan writes a will oh, to, you're right. You're right. To, to give his stuff to uh, Jeffrey Hunter's character. And Jeffrey Hunter reacts in so such a powerful way. What do you mean you don't have any blood, Ken? But Debbie's your blood, Ken. Not no more, she ain't. Well, you can keep your will. I don't want any of your property. Besides, I ain't forgetting you was getting all set to shoot her yourself. What kind of a man are you anyway? She's been living with a buck. She's not that Shut your dirty mouth! I hope you die. That'll be the day. Even after just saving Ethan, and that's the thing. That's that's that to me is Jeffrey Hunter finally leveling the playing field between them in terms of their morality and their strength, and the fact that John Wayne is willing to give his uh, uh, willing to give over his stuff to him is his way of legitimizing him as well. Absolutely, because all the whole film he's been saying he's not he's not related to them at all by blood. Yeah, it's it's exactly right, and yeah. it's like so we go from. Ethan might be about to shoot not only Debbie, but Jeffrey Hunter yes. as well. Yes. To Ethan, and Ethan having mistreated Jeffrey Hunter yeah. the whole movie, mm-hmm. um, to Ethan saying, essentially, you are my son. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what he's saying. Yeah. You're my heir. Well, after five years of searching for somebody, you essentially become, have a father-son relationship, so you might right. as well be a son. And that is the moment that uh, Jeffrey Hunter, Marty, essentially says... Fuck you. Yes. And Marty should. For five years, he's essentially been trying to curry favor with with Ethan. And in the moment that Ethan finally says he's related to him or he says, you know, agrees to that relationship, it is with all this other darkness involved in it. So it's complicated. It's not a good touchy feely moment. It's actually quite disturbing. Yeah. No one's no one's going to hug. Yeah. In this movie. Well, because he says you still have kin. Debbie's your kin. And he's like, not anymore. And it's like, what? And it's so yeah. powerful, man. And so then we come back to a wedding. <laughs> yeah, it's so random. It's so weird in the terms of the placement of the film of where it's at. Because I think they're going to have the final confrontation. They're going to go after Scar. No, we got to go back to the homestead and, and yeah. go to this wedding and recoup and then go and then figure out what to do next. Because Lori's about to marry this other guy. Right. And just as, she's, just as she's about to come down the aisle, who walks up <laughs> but Marty? <laughs> uh, and there's this moment of like, I guess you two have some talking to do. <laughs> yeah, right. And it leads to Marty and Charlie, who is this other character yeah. that's in, who's kind of a doofus. I He's think. great in the film, He's by great. the way. That actor is fantastic. Yeah, really good. Me. Has one of the great accents yeah. of all time. I'll thank you to unhand my fiancé. <laughs> it's so far, the accent, that it's kind of almost too far, but it's really great. That's part of the comedic relief, yeah. And they have a big knockdown 
uh, drag out brawl. Yeah. Charlie and Marty. Yeah. Um, and that is just, you could, it's just like a brawl for love. We're fighting for the girl. Right. And she really wants Marty to win. Yeah. And, and really wants to cement and Marty, cause Marty's going to go back out and continue right. the search, right. but they got to cement. This is for real. We yeah. are, we're in love with, got to finally say what we have to say. Yeah. And it's great. Cause she had, they have that scene back and forth and she's, he says, I didn't think I had to say it. I thought you knew it, you know, yeah. and it, which is the crux of every b- broken relationship is like yeah. one or the other says, Oh, I thought you could tell that by the actions or whatever that I cared about you. And well, it's like the other one has to go, no idiot. You're going to have to say it. Well, to, be, yeah. well, to be clear, they had some moments when they're young, a moment after yeah. a year of the search well, that's how and then was. five more years of the search. There's one letter. <laughs> and, and again, you go to, and this is why Lori has to be in the movie yeah. is look, how long do you put off your life? Yeah. And the answer for Lori was five years or yeah. six years. After six years, she said, you know, I might love this guy, but this guy's right here. Right. And I don't know if that guy's ever coming back. Right. And it is, you know, what else is she going to do? Absence makes, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Up to and, a point. And also, right, exactly. <laughs> but also, don't be so available. That's what the lesson of the film seems to be. Don't be so available. She, they, they, You're going to find that she's going to want you more if you're not so available. So, But yeah, but it's so funny to put that in the timing, uh, to put that scene in the, ti- in the timing of the movie. Because we are, we've just come out of this really incredibly dark situation. Yeah. And now we go into this completely goofy weird even the reverends all weird but then we find out they have warrants out for their arrest yeah. you know and then we have john wayne's son come in as yeah patrick, patrick wayne. wayne who plays a civil war soldier and also played for jokes because they are just he can't get his line out they are just cutting him off and messing with him and there's this joke about him turning around to look like oh to look it, yeah, it looks like a real cavalry right officer. and why does he say that because he's used to them running away from him as a confederate soldier right that's his indication which is a terrible thing to say you know but that's um, and by yeah. the way, my understanding is that that's improv. Oh, of course. Yeah. I wouldn't is be that, surprised. Because this is John Wayne and his son. His son has come yeah. in as a cavalry officer. Yeah. And and John Ford just said, don't let him finish the line. <laughs> and so they keep messing with him. And, and in his defense, Patrick Wayne just kept, yes. kept at it. And it works great for the moment. It really does. And what we discover is we know where Scar is. Yeah. And so we're going to go charge off with the cavalry and with Ward Bond and with all these guys. And we're going to go get him. Right. And they're about to do it. And Jeffrey Hunter says, if you do that, Debbie is dead. Yeah. And let me try to go first. And this is the, uh, honestly, the most heroic moment in the movie. Right. You know, is not, we don't give it to John Wayne. Mm-hmm. In fact, John Wayne isn't the guy that kills Scar. Right. Yeah. And Jeffrey Hunter does it and he sneaks in and he wakes up Debbie yeah. and in comes Scar and Jeffrey Hunter's the guy who kills him. Yeah. Yeah. As it should be, I think. Why? Because but the maturation process of Jeffrey Hunter is the subplot of the movie. Him from the bragged, from the young hothead kid to a guy who now has a code and he's older and he's more he's more mature therefore to complete his manhood to become and put this to rest he has to be the one to kill scar because there is because uh, john wayne is just as flawed as scar you're not you're not ending the movie in the right way if john wayne kills scar in my opinion you're not because they're both flip sides of the same coin well, and, and you're essentially asking the audience to choose to say, oh, this kind of horror, just because it's a white man, is okay if he kills this kind of horror right. that's an Indian. And I think having something, someone pure like Jeffrey Hunter, whose motives were always pure from the beginning, kill Scar is the right way to go. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and this is, goes to what is the nature of the search? And, right. And, and, and at the beginning... We have we have Brad, Harry Carey Jr., and Jeffrey Hunter, and John Wayne, yeah. and and we're going to rescue the girls. Right. That's the nature of the search. When Lucy is killed, and 
probably raped and killed in a horrible yep. way. That's it for Brat. Right. He didn't really care about Debbie. Literally, that's it for Brat. Yeah, and, and, and so he goes, and, and he chooses death. Yeah. Now we continue the search, and Jeff, for Jeffrey Hunter, it is always save Debbie. Yeah. And there's this point, and the point seems very clearly when that camera pushes in as he's looking at the other captured girl, yeah. where the quest changes for Ethan. Yeah. And the quest becomes revenge mm-hmm. and kill Debbie. Yeah. If Debbie is alive, put her essentially out of her misery. Yeah. And so that split means that John Wayne can no longer be the hero. Right. Because he no longer has heroic intentions. Exactly. He has evil intentions. Yes. You know, his intention is revenge. What we would determine evil, what we would determine evil, but not in his mind evil. In his mind, he's putting her out of her misery. Right. Right. And wiping out, he'll wipe out that whole village. Yeah. I'm sure. That's a good point. You're right. He will. He's happy to do it. And so Jeffrey Hunter has to be the hero. And after he rescues Debbie, who does, by the way, want to be rescued. Right. She wants to go home. She's not one of these girls that's completely broken and crazy. What does John Wayne do? He scalps Scar. Yeah. Now, this is... uh, and this is again where this is John Ford, and he handles. He doesn't. He doesn't throw a lot on it. Right. He just shows you him pull out that knife. Mm-hmm. We know what John Wayne's going to do. And this is where John Ford is saying, "There's no difference." Yeah. You can't. You know. Yeah. Don't. You can't judge. You yeah. can't. You can't. You can't choose good guys and bad guys here. Except right. You can say Jeffrey Hunter's a good guy. Yes. Can't say John Wayne's a good guy. Right. You know. And then we get to the final moment, or not the final moment of the film, but yeah. the climactic moment: Ethan and Debbie. And what is he going to do? Right. And I don't think Ethan knows what he's going to do. Yes, I agree with you. I don't think he does. And it isn't until he picks her up in the way that he picked her up. As a girl. Way, as a girl way back in the beginning of the movie that he finally puts down the gun. Yep. Figuratively and literally. And holds her in his arms again. And the way she gives into it. Because she's been waiting to be rescued. And hugs him in a way that a daughter would hug a father. Let's go home, Debbie. I think she knows she's potentially about to die. Yes. In that moment, she I think she is open and vulnerable to Ethan's judgment. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And by the way, John Wayne's pretty strong. Yes. He lifts I mean, I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm not saying Natalie Wood is a is heavy. Right, right, right. But he picks her up and you know, yeah. military presses her straight up in the air pretty right. darn easily. And the transition into holding her in her arms and her putting her head on mm-hmm. his shoulder is its really lovely. Yeah. And then we we end the film almost in the way we started the film. Almost the exact same shot. Almost the same shot. Looking through the door mm-hmm. in the darkness out at the beauty of Monument Valley, Ethan brings everyone to the doorway, mm-hmm. but he does not go in. Moses cannot go into the land of milk and honey. Moses is wow. flawed. Moses has sinned and he cannot go in. And that is John Wayne. John Wayne, Ethan cannot go into that homestead because he brings the darkness to that homestead that doesn't belong yeah. there anymore. And he is too far gone to be a part of that world ever again. And so he has to go off on his own to go back out into the wilderness because that's where he belongs. That's where he is. Yeah. And he'll end up eventually dying out there and whatever. And, but that's, he, can't go, he can't go anywhere else. Like He comes out of the darkness and he recedes back into the darkness at the end of the movie. And his walk, there's something about John Wayne's yeah. walk. Yeah. That's John Wayne's walk. Yep. You know, he moves in this weird loping, yeah. 
too tall, strange way. <laughs> and it's a very lonely, lonely uh-huh. shot. I think even the shot of him before he turns around with his arm holding his other arm, it's, it's a, I don't know, for lack of a better term, it's a more feminine shot. It's a more vulnerable shot is what I would very say. Vulnerable. It's a vulnerable shot of maybe Ethan glimpsing what he was before. And knowing he can't have it anymore, and that's his walk, his slow walk away, is him so, agreeing, uh, seeing that. Want to hear an interesting story about that? Show? Yeah, sure. I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you brought it up, it's <laughs> kind of interesting. So we talked about Harry Carey Jr. Yeah. Harry Carey Jr. is Brad, who gets killed. Yep. Uh, Harry Carey Sr. is another actor we've seen because he plays the vice president in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Oh. That's his dad. Oh, that's great. And Harry Carey Sr. was a very famous uh, cowboy actor. Mm-hmm. And the big director that worked with him is John Ford. Oh, how funny. So John Ford directed Harry Carey Sr. Oh, and uh, uh, Mom, Carrie, I don't remember her name, but she's an actress in the film as well. She's Mm -hmm. an older lady who says something at one point. Mm -hmm. They're in the house when John Wayne starts to walk away. The hand on the arm is a pose that Harry Carey Sr., used to do in films all the time. How funny. And he was doing a little tribute to oh. the wife and the kid, and they apparently burst into tears, and John Ford knew what they were... Ever, like, the people on the set knew that oh, that's wow. a very common stance that Harry Carey Sr., who had died previously, oh, how used sweet. to do. Yeah. Oh, how yeah. sweet. It's, and, and I wouldn't have brought it up, except that you, wow. you know... And it is a strange it is. posture for it him. Is. Because he's been so powerfully postured throughout the whole film. Well, to see him in that position is really interesting. Well, and what you say, I think, is true, is that he has no place. Mm-hmm. He knows who he is and where he is and what he's doing throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. And at this moment, he has he doesn't have something to do. He yeah. doesn't know who he's supposed to be in that environment right. and has to turn at the door and walk away. It's like people who keep going back to war because they can't function in civilized society anymore. They're too far gone and they feel more at home at war than they do in civilized society. They know their place in a place like that. They don't know their place in a civilized society. And that happens all the time for certain men. Uh, and I'm imagining certain women now as they become more and more involved in combat. It's just like they have a hunger for it. They feel more at home there. And as much as they can glimpse and visit civilian life, they could never function in civilian life. And I think that's Ethan is that kind of person, that kind of character. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, it's funny. I wonder, John Wayne certainly says that this is his best acting, his finest role. I, I a thousand um, percent agree. He did win the Oscar uh, many years later for True Grit. Right. Uh, which is good. It's fine. It's fine. It, that definitely seems like a, here's the Oscar for your career. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I wonder how John Wayne, who tended to look at things from what we know in a fairly black and white mm-hmm. way, thinks about or was able to play this character that is so gray. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know what? I should, I should, he's still black and white. Yeah. The world is gray. Right. You know? His only gray moment is when he gives in and, and gives in and, and saves Debbie. Yeah. He gives in and, and holds Debbie. And even then he has to hand her off. Right? Yeah. He can't he cannot be her father figure. He cannot be the person that influences her life because he's too he's just too grizzled. Well it's you know right. you know what it is? It's a lot easier to shoot someone from the distance. Yeah. When you look in them in their eyes, it's when true. you're right in front of them and yeah. they're a human, well then you're not killing this um violated, corrupted version of Debbie you have in your brain, you're right. killing Debbie. Right. You know, and I think, you know, I don't think this is what John Ford is saying, but, you know, get getting, to, you should really try to get to know people before you decide to kill them. Right. You know? Right. Um, so, John, final thoughts on The Searchers. Uh, just one of my favorite Westerns, hell, one of my favorite films, period. It's one that I revisit constantly because it, 
because there's so much here to explore and analyze and feel. And especially when you take in the fact that this was 1956, even more so, uh, these very adult, mature themes coming out of what had been a studio system, a very like, you know, you'd have these moments. Obviously, we talked about It's a Wonderful Life and Mrs. Smith Goes to Washington. You know, uh, we have these films in 12 Angry Men. We have these uh, kind of uh, films in black and white that explore these kind of darker themes. But this in what we had always been a typically heroic genre for Americans, for cowboys to explore this darkness here. So, uh, so, uh, vividly is, is what, is what to me is the power of the film. Yeah. I've been sitting here trying to figure out if I could answer the question I started with, which is why isn't this one of my movies? It's clearly a great film. Mm -hmm. And I think what I struggle, it's not a movie I want to visit because the grayness, it's just overwhelming to mm. me, you know, is the, well, of course you have to chase after right. this person. And of course this is wrong. And then we enter, I don't, I don't like being with Ethan. It's not fun. He's not a good man. No, no. I mean, he's a powerful figure. Sure. Yeah. But it's not, so I don't go, even though the cinematography is beautiful, the yeah, storytelling yeah. is excellent. John Wayne's performance is the best that he's ever done. Even though all those things, I don't go, hey, let's go off with the searchers again. Yeah. I just, it doesn't draw me to do it. And maybe, you know, sometimes things that you should do aren't easy. Yeah. You know, and there are, there are a lot of movies that aren't easy. Right. You know, I mean, there are a few movies I've walked out of and gone, I will never go to that movie again. I'm yeah. never going to see that again. Yeah. You know, and, and the searchers isn't quite that. Right. But it definitely, it's, it's, it's rough. Well, they don't, there's not enough scenes that humanize him for no. you to feel comfortable being in his presence. But you understand his code. You understand why. And a lot of times he's proven right with why he does oh, yeah. the stuff that he does. But it's an ugly truth that a lot of us cannot sit through. Right. And so, you know, I respect it because I've known men like this in my life in the military and outside the military. So I get it. And it's easier for me to gravitate to it. But I do not fault anyone for not wanting to spend time with Ethan over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. That being said, if you haven't seen The Searchers... <laughs> yes. You should see it. Yes, and thanks for sitting through the whole spoiler-filled conversation if you haven't, but you should absolutely see it, yeah. Yeah, and when you see it, we'd like you to tell us what you thought. Please reach out to us on Facebook. You can reach us at The Cinephiles, that's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S on Facebook. You can reach me at S.R. Morris. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says, T-H-E-R-O-C-H-A-S-A-Y-S on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on Super Animation Game Time on Geek and Sundry, you watch there. And now every Friday, officially on Collider Movie Talk, I will be a, a guest a panelist on every Friday on Collider Movie Talk uh, going forward. Congratulations. So, Thanks. That's fantastic news. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, we definitely would love you to review us on iTunes. It definitely helps the show. It helps us to reach more people, and reaching more people makes us happy. Yeah, guys, those of you who are, who, who are fans of the Top 10 show or fans of me from other shows, you know that we are big, big, big on having reviews on iTunes. Please take two minutes three minutes, write a couple of sentences, put five, four stars. It really helps us. And we want to get this podcast even bigger, more well-known, more heard, more more listened to, and also more downloaded. So it would help us to move up the rankings. So please, please uh, do those iTunes reviews. It means so much to us. And even if you have to give like five stars for John and you don't really like me, that's totally okay. <laughs> no, it's Is not he, okay. Um, <laughs> well, you have to be honest. You're great. It's not okay. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. So, that is it for this week we will see you next time on an all new cinephiles